Welcome to, what's the name of the show? Every Horror Movie on Netflix. We watch, we discuss, we review every horror movie on Netflix. My name's... No, no, no. Come on, Chris. Come on, Chris. We're going we're gonna to listen back to this episode and be like, holy shit, we sound like we were uh, wow. crawling to the starting line like sacks of shit. Wow, there must have been a coup last night. <laughs> we're exhausted. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Every Horror Movie on Netflix, the show where we watch, review, and discuss every horror movie on Netflix. Back again, it's me, Chris, and I'm here with Patrick. Hey. And I'm here with Steven. Hi. <laughs> and uh yeah. Well what the hell, guys? How how you guys been? <laughs> well i mean you know we're recording this the day after the literal horror of the the siege on our nation's capital so so we all watched the purge yesterday on cnn (laughs) pretty much (laughs) and and i'm sure by the time this episode comes out will there be like the purge 2 the purge 3 the purge 4 inauguration day (laughs) quite possibly the purge election year all over again could be mad max uh, by the time this episode comes out i I know this for certain our current anxieties will be made irrelevant by the time this comes out i don't know what the fuck is in the pipeline but (sighs) this is just going to be a blip in a week or so yeah well, it's as as usual. I'm sure we're all drowning out the real life anxieties with fictitious anxieties. Uh, has anybody, uh, you know, participated in any horror culture uh, since the last time we got together? Yeah, I um, <laughs> finally, finally brought my Hannibal Lecter journey full circle today by watching 2007's Hannibal Rising. Uh, oh, the wow. the prequel film about young Hannibal. I think this is the only piece of Hannibal Lecter media that I have yet to consume. Well, actually, other than the book Hannibal Rising, which after watching the film, I have zero desire to read. Wait, um, can I ask a question? Did Does Thomas Harris have anything to do with that? Did he write a book for that? Yes. Okay. Yes. No, this is the fucked up part, is that Dino De Laurentiis like, pretty openly said that he basically threatened Thomas Harris to write the book. It was basically a, I'm going to make a movie, so you had better write a book if you want to have any sway over this story. So Harris essentially wrote the book so that he could be involved somehow in his own character. Jesus, Thomas Harris needs a better agent and manager or something. Like, that sounds like a really fucked up relationship. (laughs) Thomas Harris is a fascinating dude. I learned that he's extremely reclusive. He did not give... Uh, according to his Wikipedia, he has not given he did not give an interview between the years. I think it was 1976 and 2019. So he just like is not out there and does not talk about anything, which is fascinating to me. But yeah, uh, short review of the movie. It sucked. I did not hear good things. I've never been compelled to see it. And thank you for giving me a final reason not to waste my time. I mean, it's classic, like, Mr. Zombie's Halloween kind of uh, scenario where it's like, okay, this character is highly entertaining as, like, a flamboyant, magnetic supporting character. Or in the Hannibal TV series, you know, he's he's a lead, but still is very much like the Yang to Will Graham's Yang. Uh, who, who wants to watch two hours 
about this guy's fucking childhood trauma that influenced how and why he became a cannibal. Also, there's a hilarious scene where he, like, puts on a mask that looks like the famous mask that he wears in the Silence of the Lambs and, like, has this sort of orgasmic sort of moment of, like, coming into his being. And it's like, wait, this mask, like, this character does not have any special bond to this mask. Like, this mask is put on him because he's a cannibal. Like, you're only just throwing dog food to the fans here I, I it's a very strange creation well and i think he's isn't he wearing the mask in the poster yes. like isn't the poster like a close-up of the mask yeah it makes no fucking sense yeah damn dog food fans destroying our franchises i need to register in passing that i do love rob zombies halloween so <laughs> you mean mr zombie I, w- I will i will register a i will log a futile objection to that point but yeah I, there's also this you know um uh tv series coming out clarice i think on nbc uh, holy yeah. shit what a what a misstep but it's like i don't know i found out about that the other day i think because one of you said something about it and i was very upset for a while and now i'm upset that you've reminded me of it Ugh. and and they're like it's not gonna have any hannibal lecter in it this is about clarice starling it's like clarice Star- who gives a shit about clarice starling she's just a foil for hannibal lecter I, I mean, I could get into a into a discussion about that all day. I, I don't disagree. I could get into a discussion about it all day, but uh, it's not for this episode. And you know that, like, maybe by the third, I'll give it the first season finale at the latest. Oh, she's gonna like find the mask and be like, oh, yeah. "Who left this at the scene?" <laughs> be the, the the cannibal mask. Yeah, fucking James Spader as Hannibal Lecter. Oh, oh, okay. Say no more. I'm yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I'm I take back everything I said. I'm in. <laughs> I mean, that's basically the blacklist, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Steven, how about you? Anything new in your horror of a life? I have two things, Patrick. You have two thank things you, th- to say about th- this. Thank you. Two things to say. Thank you for passing the baton. Uh, one is semi-related. You know, I've I've still been revisiting the Hannibal TV series, but I don't know if I mentioned this on the show before, but I've at least mentioned it to you, Patrick. Offcast. There's a really fantastic podcast. Um, that Eric Vespi and Scott Wampler, formerly of Birth Movies Death, started called the King Cast, where every episode they revisit. Uh, one of Stephen King's works that has been adapted into film or television. And they've had just an all-star roster of guests, always an amazing conversation, often very funny. And Brian Fuller blew people's minds early on with his his um, kind of homoerotic take on Salem's Lot. And he came back a couple of weeks ago to talk about Christine. And holy shit (laughs) like this guy not only is just uh just a firebrand and full of ideas and energy and hot takes but he completely changed how i interpreted the movie i haven't read the book but he's got some pretty hot takes about that too and how it diverges from the movie really fun conversation if you have any interest in king christine or Brian Fuller, the madman himself, definitely check out that episode. It is just a pure delight start to finish. Definitely on my queue at some point. I'm excited. 
I kind of had a similar experience where I uh, listened to an episode of the Faculty of Horror podcast, mm. which I enjoy a lot. Um, they were talking about Let the Right One In. This is from years ago, which I, I saw that movie pretty recently. And within the first five minutes of this episode, they were dropping some insight and information about let the right one in that blew my mind and will forever change the way I look at that movie uh, based on what they had read in the book that the movie was based on. Oh, uh, you did text us about this, Chris, and I am going to listen to that episode. I've, I've bookmarked it. I haven't gotten into it yet this week, but can you give, can you give me a little tease? I can't even give you a tease. Okay. No okay. Cool. Cool. I'm, I'm very excited. Cause I, I was, I really liked the movie. I was kind of like left lukewarm by the end, but I thought it seemed pretty straightforward. I have no idea what I'm in for. There's a there's a lot to unpack in that movie, but but some at least one or two bombshells. <laughs> I feel yeah, like okay. I should rewatch the movie before I listen to the episode because I saw that in theaters and remember only the the vaguest the ba- the basic plot, which from what I remember, it's kind of a simple movie. But also from what you're saying, it sounds like they find a lot of complication to it. Every time I listen to them, I want to rewatch the movie afterwards. So you mm-hmm. might want to just listen to them and then rewatch the movie. Hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a great show. I, I do have one more thing because I did say I have two. Uh, also in the Stephen King universe. Still been plugging away, reading The Stand. I'm only about halfway through the the original version, not the you know 1,200 page version that was later released. Um, thoroughly enjoying it. Uh, but wait, I've is also... that is there a longer version that was later released, or is that shorter? So he turned in like an 11 or 1,200 page version, which I didn't even realize until a couple of days ago. That was his fourth novel, and he took that big of a swing. And the publishers, I think it was Doubleday, they were like, you got to fucking trim this down. This is wow. way too much. But then the version that is – people are kind of like chiding me about this now, especially fans of the book that I have in my life um, – the the only accepted version now is i think in the late 80s he released like the the extended uncut version mm. of it um and that's the only one you can buy now but a while ago i found the original paperback copy with signet or Doubleday with like you know the stephen king book covers in the 70s and 80s had this classic look to them and this iconic art and i was like i have to I have to buy this and i kind of like reading it feeling like i'm reading what people got when it first came out and when it first became this huge hit but while i've been reading that i've also been watching cbs all accesses stand mini series i don't know what to call it it's not quite a mini series it's nine episodes apparently uh, and that's been a kind of a fascinating experience as well because it completely reconfigures the the story the way the story is told in the book. The book is told like one character at a time while things are happening simultaneously, but you focus on one character at a time in their journey. And you jump to another, you jump to another, and it feels like you're always you're playing hopscotch. And the show from the outset is like flashbacks and flashbacks within flashbacks and jumping into the future and it's kind of a fucking mess it hasn't spoiled anything for me so far i think i'm like just far enough into the book that i can keep reading and keep watching the show but it it just kind of amazes me that there are some king properties that people just can't get right there's something about his writing the way he develops characters and gets inside their heads um even though he's not great at plot even still, his inscrutable style of 
of of staging a plot is uh, just not translatable to the screen for some of his works. Well, you know, I haven't read a ton of Stephen King, but a lot of what I have read kind of hinges on themes of like loneliness in some sort of way. And a lot huh. of internal, and I, I'm thinking about 11, 63 pet cemetery in a lot of ways. Uh, he's got the one book about the girl who's lost in the woods um, stuff where it's like, you know, characters left to themselves a lot and a lot of their internal <laughs> things. Gerald's game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Talk about being left to yourself. Right? <laughs> and so it's, it's kind of hard to adapt that to the screen when so much is going on inside a character's head and there's not a lot of action you know the stand so far is very action heavy like he does a great job of getting inside the character's head i'm talking about the book he does a great job of really developing the characters making them feel real like you know them you can picture them perfectly you can understand why they make the choices they make but he doesn't rest on that he gives you the action too you know he, he gives you the dog food that you're hoping for uh pretty quickly there's not a lot of beating around the bush and the show just doesn't seem like it trusts the way that he tells the story in the book so so that's what i've been up to horror wise um chris you got anything Actually, a couple, um, but I'll only mention one for the sake of time. I watched Scream Queen, finally. Oh, nice. Yes. It's been it's been talked to death on our show, so I don't know if I have much more to add to it. Um, I enjoyed it. I thought it was interesting. Something that was kind of really beside the really beside the point, but um, that that really always captures my attention. I've, I've also watched most of Never Sleep Again, the whole documentary on the whole Elm mm. Street franchise. I've seen that, too. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, something that strikes me about both of those documentaries is how much fun Robert Englund is as an interviewee. Yeah. And how much thought he put into every bit of his performance as Freddy Krueger. It's like, <laughs> I guess that's what happens when you get a classically trained actor mm-hmm. and you, you ruin his life to have him in your movie <laughs> <laughs> as a movie man. He is very, yeah. like, I love the thing, one of the things that stands out to me the most about Scream Queen is when he's, like, discussing, like, his thought process behind the way um, Freddy gesticulates in in the movie and he he even turns the word homoerotic into like the most theatrical sounding thing you can possibly imagine <laughs> like i can't even do his pronunciation of that word justice and it's it's delightful because yeah he is like a classically trained theatrical uh like stage actor just like trapped in a shitty franchise movie trying to make the most of it there's no accidents in his performance like uh-huh. he's making choices behind every little thing that freddie does <laughs> well so Has i don't know any- if you know this but he di- he's directed at least one movie he directed himself in a version of phantom of the opera and i'm <laughs> dying what? dying to see what that looks like is he the phantom yeah oh my god wow well you know we've talked about real world horror we've talked about horror movies uh a little bit of good news before we jump into our uh, horror movie discussion of the week, we actually got a really sweet message on New Year's Eve, of all things, from a fan, a little bit of fan mail, uh, and and this uh, anonymous fan who chose to remain anonymous um, said we could share this on the episode, so I'll do that now. Um, they messaged us, I hope this isn't an odd message to send, but I thought it could be good to say. I have obsessive compulsive disorder, and so when I'm panicked or anxious, there are certain things I turn to that make me feel safe and comfortable again 
I wanted to let you know that your podcast has been consistently my main source of comfort over the course of the pandemic. It has really helped me a lot. So thanks for putting it out there. Love the show so much. And I look forward to everything you put out in the future. And I mean, speaking only for myself, I was, I was very touched and a little bit bowled over by this message. It's kind of, I mean, you know, we're still, uh, we've been doing this for three years. I still have this general feeling that like, five people listen to our podcast in general. Um, but it's always uh, touching to hear that somebody listens to us on a regular basis and uh, that we could provide some sort of little bit of stability for them. So thank you. Yeah, that was really touching to me as well. Um, I, I, I've one of my closest friends suffers from OCD. Uh, I, I don't know that he would be comforted by hearing my voice <laughs> listening to this podcast, but I, but I, I have, I, f- I feel I have a pretty intimate understanding of the disorder and it really just, it really just warms my heart that uh, someone suffering from that can find comfort in our show. It just bowled me over to hear that. I mean, I live with OCD and I am not comforted by hearing our voices on this podcast ever, but I'm glad that someone is. Yeah, I, I, um, I'm, I'm really touched by that as well, and and I, 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 I can't understand it because it's like, <laughs> listen to me brings you comfort, but, uh, <laughs> but no, it's 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 nice that when you put something like this out there, and you, you know, really, when we started this, we had no plan, it's, and we still don't have a plan. It's just like no. we're gonna do this, we're gonna put it out there, and if we build it, you know, if, if someone wants to listen, they can listen. But it, it's really cool that we can have such a pro- profound impact on uh, someone's life and, you know, make the make the hellscape that we are in a little less hellish. It's amazing. Absolutely. So what the fuck mundane ass movie did we watch? And are we now going to have a mundane ass discussion about this episode? I, I don't know. Um, but, you know, we, we went back um, <laughs> in time a little bit uh, to the year 2015, which doesn't seem that long ago, but it certainly is long ago when you're dealing with the Internet. And we watched uh, 2015's Unfriended, the screen capture horror phenomenon. It was a large success when it hit the theaters. Massive success. Patrick and I actually caught it at an advanced critic screening back when he was doing oh. that sort of thing. And, and he was uh, he was letting me come to some of them. Mm-hmm. We saw it on the big screen. And so this was our second go around. Steven, this is your first go around, right? My first, yes. I, I was familiar with it. And it's been getting... I actually wanted to watch it independently of the podcast recently because it's come up on a couple of my horror podcasts as like kind of a a movie that does some people that I follow feel deserves more credit than it got. Well, if there's any movie that's been recontextualized in the last five years in a big way, I think it's unfriended um, because one of the reasons I picked this movie for this week is because this is our life now. We're on Zoom all the time. We got the pandemic going on. Um, you know, the the video conferencing world is uh, a lot more relatable to people than it was five years ago. Also, just I was shocked watching this movie at how much about the Internet has changed in these five years. And a lot of websites and technologies and even Skype, which most of the movie is set on Skype, um, isn't used like it was in 2015 so it kind of just seemed like a time capsule in a way even though it was you know fairly recent i would argue that actually it still feels shockingly relevant i i feel like like not that much has changed but 
then again, I I also was wondering at the same time, like, I'm a Mac user, and, like, I, I'm very familiar with that interface. I wonder how someone who, who is not would feel about this. But but I thought it still felt, like, pretty pretty contemporary. Yeah, I was also... I, I'm in that same boat, Stephen. I thought it mostly seemed similar to the experience we have now. Obviously, Skype uh, has kind of uh, fallen to the rise of Zoom. Uh, the main thing that struck me as kind of an, an anachronistic detail was uh, the Facebook layout. I was like, oh, it's been a little while since Facebook looked like that. <laughs> right, right. Isn't it absurd how Microsoft blew like a 17-year lead in video conferencing to Zoom? Like, they've been waiting their whole moment. Skype was the shit. And then the the moment that everyone needed video conferencing, Zoom just ate Skype's lunch and they had no answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, before we get into, you know, all our subjective experiences with the movie, uh, let's let, let, let's set this son of a bitch up. It's real simple, guys. We got so simple. We got a group of high schoolers. There's uh, ultimately six of them. They're basically on a, a joint Skype call hanging out on a average Monday night or whatever the hell a year ago. One of their friends, Laura Barnes, commits suicide after uh, she was cyberbullied. An anonymous user put a video of her passed out at a party, drunk, acting a damn fool online. She shit her pants. Notably. Notably. The uh, online crowd descended <laughs> oh on God. her, told her to kill herself, <laughs> and she did. So that happened a year ago, and now we're here on the anniversary of her death. And, uh, you know, these kids have an un- unfamiliar, anonymous guest on their, on their Skype call that they can't seem to get rid of. And there's all kinds of little spooky messages going around. And it seems, my friends, like the ghost of Laura Barnes is back for revenge on Skype and Facebook at the same <laughs> damn time. Laura Barnes, the original Zoom bomber. <laughs> Well, and, and I think the only other, that's a great summary, the only other relevant detail that we should mention is that we experienced the entire film through the computer screen of one of the protagonists, one of the teens. Blair, right? Blair, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, I mean, Chris, that was a marvelous summary. I mean, it, 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 is, a, it is a pretty simple film, but it's also like... I, I, I guess it it just feels effortless as you're watching it that all these pieces are there and fall together. But going back to the very beginning, I mean, it's I, essentially I, the greatest one shot film ever made. Eat your hearts out, Stanley Kubrick and Paul Thomas Anderson and Hitchcock um, and Hitchcock. But we begin with Laura Barnes' suicide with her fucking blowing her brains out. I was not ready mm. for that shot. That immediately disturbed me. Um, and I don't know. I don't know that I've ever seen an opening of a film that just made me wonder why I should continue. I felt like I was immediately in unsafe hands. Well, That's great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to whether or not we thought it was great, but very disturbing and very effective. I have to say. I, I feel like I have to kind of kick this off with a note on presentation. Oh yes. So as Chris mentioned, he and I saw this film at a critic screening when I was still reviewing movies. Chris was successfully marketed to by this movie, of course, because you didn't go to many critic screenings with me, but you were like, I want to see fucking Unfriended with you. I was like, okay. Yes. So we saw it in the theater and I was not a fan. 
But when you picked this movie last episode, Chris, you were like, you've got to watch it in dark in your bed on a laptop. I was like, yeah. okay, okay. You're 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 sometimes a little demanding, Chris, about uh viewing choices. And-, and this guy, Patrick, will watch, you know, the darkest, grimmest, scary he'll watch a dark song at two in I the will. afternoon with That's the sun true. streaming through his blinds. Yeah, fuck that. Fuck That's true that. as fuck. <laughs> true as fuck. And you know what you know what I watched in the middle of the goddamn day? Cargo. Well, that movie takes place in the middle of the goddamn day, so that's fine. Well, you yeah. you you have specifically said horror movies in general are not to be watched while the sun is up. There's some that you can watch, but for the most part, no. I mean, even, even bare naked ladies knew to watch X Files with the lights off, <laughs> with no lights on. <laughs> is this a song lyric I'm not familiar with? <laughs> oh my god, Chris! Well, Amazing. we digress. We digress as a group, but Chris is sometimes a bit stringent about viewing preferences but at the end of last episode you said watch this in the dark watch it on your laptop don't watch it on a big screen i was like yeah 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 but i also like committed to the bit i was like okay i'm gonna do this and i watched it on my tablet it was it was dark when i started watching it i was fucking eating dinner sitting at the dining room table and you know what you were fucking right this is not meant to be watched on a fucking giant screen I, I can't imagine what it would be screen. like to see it that way. It is so much better when you're watching it on a small screen and you're like, wait, every every like couple minutes I'd find myself going, oh wait, I look at the 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 uh the menu bar at the top and I go, wait, that's not the right time. I kept thinking like, oh, this is my screen. You know, it's it's designed for the new generation of you're watching on your personal screen. You're not watching on the big screen. And it's much better that way. I agree with you 100%. This time I took my... Well, yeah, it was your idea. <laughs> well, yeah, I've never done it. I'd never done it before. I actually did it. I took my MacBook, which I haven't even used in months, charged it up just for this, took it into bed, opened it up, turned the little uh, the keyboard light on just a little bit to add that extra atmosphere. <laughs> and, I, and it was so much better than the theater. And I... Th- caught thought myself it was my like little like notifications would come up and i would like almost go to like move them and i'm like dude yes i had that same, experience same too. yeah but watching it in the theater I, it felt like it was like a fucking like work presentation or something like someone was just screen yes. sharing onto a projector basically <laughs> I, and I think that contributed. Yeah, you expect Steve Jobs to walk out on the stage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not, not to tip my hand on this because I do have criticisms of this movie, but suffice it to say, I had a vastly better experience with it, watching it on a small screen that was mine, that was held in my hands, that was controlled by me and was not a giant screen where there's more of that. You absorb more of that actual fear of, oh, that notification from Laura. Shit, is that for me? You know, like, am I? Is Laura messaging me now? You have that, like, at least I had that millisecond of a response a few times. You know. Oh, I have that. I, I watched it actually sitting right where I'm sitting right now in front of my laptop and my little cubby in my bedroom on the floor, and like, I got tripped out. Like, there were a couple of times where I felt like. Where I almost wanted to like click on the screen and like like check my check my messages or whatever. It was um, definitely a more effective way to watch it. Um, I cannot imagine seeing it on the big screen. I feel like it would just be overwhelming in a very strange way. It was weird. Um, it was very 
it was very awkward and it was very i don't know i got very like got my panties in a twist about the you know this i I think i did have a little bit of like this is not cinema kind of vibes after we finished watching it i was like this is this is ugly this is not to be watched on a theater screen which i mean really it's not i was right um it's not it's made for fucking teenagers who at the time were watching movies on their laptops or maybe on their phone i can't imagine watching this on a phone though that would be too much. Yeah, well, there's there's so much little text and stuff that you're expected to read. Like, people who will never yeah. watch a movie with subtitles will still watch Unfriended, even though they have to read twice as much, and it's twice as hard to read. I, I even noticed watching on the MacBook that it's actually in a 16-10 aspect ratio instead of the 16-9 that a lot of stuff is. So it actually fills your MacBook screen. It does. It's supposed to. It does. I mean, it, it completely mimicked what I'm used to. And at the same time, like, it was a fucking crazy night. I'm on social media. I'm texting people about this goddamn <laughs> attempted coup last night and started kind of losing my mind about, like, what was reality and, like, what could I actually interact with on my screen. Then you got uh, a Facebook that- message from Donald Trump. Uh No. <laughs> But I, that that lasted a whole five minutes, and I was like, "Well, I should just be paying attention to the movie, like I should always do when we're doing these things." But it was it was kind of trippy, um, very well executed. Like it did it did like it, it achieved the effect that it set out to have, like pretty remarkably, I think, for being as far as I know the first mainstream movie to do or movie in general to be filmed in this sort of format. There have been several since, um, and I don't know that even those did it as well as this one did. Yeah, I mean, the most obvious example is fucking Host, which I, you know, we've talked about on this show, and I actually kind of went back and watched a little bit of it after I watched this, because I was like, okay, why did Unfriended work for me, but Host really didn't? And the main thing is, for me at least, that Host purports to take place inside a zoom call but it takes extreme creative license with yeah moving those shots around the screen in a in a very filmic way unfriended does some of the same shit you know it's certainly not all just exactly as you would see it on your screen it fucks around a little bit with the camera shots and and does some uh clever and effective manipulation uh, for for things to appear at just the right moment, but it's more seamless and feels more like it's genuinely just showing you a computer screen as opposed to feeling like I'm watching a filmmaker make a film out of Zoom. And I have yeah, no the- idea how it was made. Like like I'm I'm sure it was a, oh. a combination of actually coordinating stuff and compositing things together but um dude i have some information for you on that actually so i i did a little research because i was curious about this uh it was a 16 day shoot and 16 days yeah i mean i would have guessed it was an 80 minute shoot right because it it, it feels like it's happening in real time that's really amazing right it credibly gives the impression that Potentially, maybe they just turned some sort of screen capture program on and did this in 80 minutes. There there are lots of seams that you can pick out if you look through it. It's in... <laughs> 
I mean, not to make too labored an allusion to a great film here, but I feel like it has kind of that rope sort of thing where it creates a pretty effective illusion of a single take by stitching little parts together. So, I mean, we had this 16-day shoot, uh, according to Wikipedia at least, which of course is pulling information from various other sources, uh, there were shoot days that ran up to 12 hours and the lead actress in fact who played blair actually requested a few takes where they did the entire thing in 80 minutes uh so that did happen and they're stitched in there apparently some of the the final apparently some of the final scenes actually come from one of those 80 minute takes so she's classically trained she wanted she's like robert england but yeah interestingly i mean again 16 days is is short but it's still kind of surprised me as far as how much work and time they put into this thing that feels like it's something you could have knocked out in a couple days you know the uh performances i thought were pretty damn good yeah call me crazy no i I won't call you crazy i think the performances were great I was in that I fucking hated all of these characters with a passion, but understood that it was because of the performances that I felt that way. We're not supposed to like these people. These are bad people. These are bad kids. They're bad kids. And we'll, we'll get into that. But um, I, I thought that the the banter, I mean, I was like, I was, I was like, I, I said, am I watching Mumblecore? Because uh. <laughs> the way these kids interact and stuff felt very lifelike and and true to life and the the way they you know the way they just carried on like they were just dumbass kids shooting this shit on a weeknight they're dumbass kids you know a couple of them are high one of them is i i was actually kind of amazed god i don't remember the character's name was it adam yeah was like supposed to be drunk and seemed like pretty convincingly like the drunk dude bro of the group yeah and i was like how does this kid i don't know how the actor was at the time but like how does he know how to play this part so well you know he just fucking how nailed it a 19 year old actor know what it's like to be drunk <laughs> I, mean, I don't I I, I I wasn't amazed by his drunkenness i was actually kind of impressed by the way his like kind of cool dude bro persona just devolved over the course of the film and he turns into a pretty genuinely scary person as he does and and also chris as a rebuttal like i don't think i had gotten drunk by that age or if i had it had been like right around that oh steven Um, thank you for making me feel better because i didn't get drunk until i was like 20 and had a bud light and a half at your apartment yeah but these are they're they're high school students right or are they in college yeah but you did go to a high school you did know i mean it's not hard for a minor to get alcohol or to have experience (laughs) drinking especially maybe you like it was for me prepare for a role we're talking about artists and artist kids man <laughs> and they get drunk all the time. I'd rather you just do it here. <laughs> no, yeah, the actor is probably like nineteen or twenty, but the character is like fucking fifteen or sixteen. And I was like, this is pretty impressive. Like, this reminds me of like a couple of guys that I went to college with, like a couple of years later. Pretty remarkable. He feels dangerous. You he know, does. he's fucking wielding his gun at a certain point and, and then on for the rest of the movie. So, I mean, present presentation issues aside, what, what did you guys think about basically, you know, the story and and just the plot <laughs> of this movie and how it was communicated within the constraints of its presentation? Oof. 
<laughs> I mean, it's you know, it's it's slight. There's a reason that we're not going to talk about plot all that much, as much as we would on yeah. a normal film. Like, there's not a ton going on here. Like, you know, they're, they're hanging out on Skype. A ghostly <laughs> Skype account shows up and starts to bug them. I don't think this is spoiler room material, but it is fucking Laura Barnes who's bugging them, you know? And things dissolve into madness from there, you know? I, I, I think... One one advantage that I would say Host, which is just so clearly like a close analog to this movie, has over Unfriended, is Host gets in and out in an hour. Unfriended is too long. There are points where it almost seems to drag, which is funny because it's an hour and 20 minutes, but yeah, I, I, I think you could tighten this up a little bit. I felt you. I was kind of, especially after seeing Host, I was really anxious to see the length of this movie before I started it. And um, it did feel like it dragged at points. It did feel like there were multiple points where it just devolved into these fucking shitty characters screaming at each other over nonsense for Mm -hmm. far too long. Like, I really (laughs) think it could have been trimmed down. And that stuff was exhausting to me. I, I have a I have a point to make about the screaming at each other about shitty nonsense, but I think it's spoiler room material. Yeah, absolutely. We're we're really going to have to get into that in the spoiler room, but I mean the the horror of this. There's there's two el- there's two horror elements. One is you got a ghost in your machine. The other one is your friends are horrible people who betray you all the time behind your back. <laughs> so I mean your life. I've been there before, like especially when I consider the people I was hanging out with at that age. That was it, this was a pretty relatable movie, I think. Oh God, I, I just cyberbullied Chris. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and the the movie really the it's really like a little morality tale, kind of basically. Uh, I mean, we got these characters who are all horrible. They're all rude Oof. to their friends, and you know they're all going to die because they are not good to each other and. I it doesn't work for me, not really. But I mean, I, I when I when we saw this in the theater, Patrick, I remember I came out. And I was like, good for these guys, because I was like, this is the like when I go see a horror movie and there's teenagers in the theater being obnoxious. This is the movie for them. God bless it. They made a movie for them about their life on this with this gimmicky presentation that's going to be right up their alley. It's a it's an hour and twenty two minutes. You get them in and out. It's the kind of movie where it's okay if the kids like who are in the audience are like acting like assholes and laughing during the movie. It's fine. Are it's, are you saying it, that's fine because like the movie is kind of going to stick it to them by the end? Oh no no no! I mean, if it does, oh. great. If it if it gives them a life lesson, like, hey, don't call the cop. That's where I thought you were going. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. I'm not in position. Don't don't steal eight hundred dollars from your rich friend, or fuck your your <laughs> boyfriend's best friend, or whatever else. <laughs> spoiler room, spoiler room. Yeah, well, but no, just just in terms of the the general you know subject matter and, and delivery and everything, and the the mood of the movie. No, I mean, to get back to your question, I guess, a little bit as far as the plot and sort of how much it did or didn't engage me. So, I mean, in the first 15 minutes, I I texted Chris and I was like, I'm 15 minutes into watching Unfriended on my tablet and I'm ready to recant everything. 
that I had said about the movie previously. And that was totally true. Like in the first 15 minutes yeah. on uh, Blair's computer, she like gets on Facebook. She's trying to unfriend Laura because Laura is sending her weird messages and the unfriend button is grayed out. She can't unfriend her. You know, it's upsetting. You're, you're looking at this thing that again, looks like your computer screen on your personal device. And you know what, what a horrible I don't know. It's it's just I, I think that's so relatable to be attempting to use one of these nine thousand different technological platforms that we're all slaves to at this point in our existence, and it doesn't work. You know, someone is trying to contact you and harass you from beyond the dead, and it doesn't work. I mean, very modern, very effective horror. Then there's a slack point for me somewhere between that and the fucking everyone losing their minds and screaming at each other, which I did love, where it it kind of is just everybody hanging out. There's a little bit of kind of loose material there where we're building up to the insanity crescendo that is the last half hour or so of this movie, and that's where I... I, I don't want to say checked out, but where it lost me a little bit. I never checked out, but it lost me. I was there for the first 15 to 20 minutes. I was, you know, I kind of knew what I was getting into. Like, this is kind of a gimmicky concept, you know, to begin with. And I was like, this is really fucking well executed. And, like, these actors, these young actors are all absolutely great. This feels like the drama that high schoolers feel you know when their their brains are still developing and like every little tiny thing that goes wrong every little betrayal feels like the end of the world and it just turned into kind of a histrionic mess for me pretty soon after those first 20 minutes and i didn't fully ever understand the machinations of laura barnes laura barnes ghost yeah and like if i die and i have to like stay on facebook that that's the number one thing I'm looking forward to about death, not being on social <laughs> media anymore. <laughs> Wait, what are you saying though, Steven? What did you what did you not understand? I mean, I guess it's spoiler room territory. I don't know, but like I didn't understand like some of these deaths and how Laura Barnes like oh. is able to physically manifest as well as digitally. Let's go to the spoiler room. We got deaths rev- to talk about. We got feel. Like, I feel like we we've set up it. the concept, and from there, it's kind of just like who dies. I mean, surprise, people die, but I, I, I think we kind of should just get down there and get into. Yeah, it. Yeah, you guys, are, you guys are are ready to review it. I can tell you're you're right there. You're right there. I'll give it a goddamn cue it. Oh, that's actually a surprise. Me too. Yeah, same. I mean, your your life is not going to be missing anything if you if you sleep on unfriended. But um, you know, as much as I hate movies that are on you know built on a gimmick, and that's pretty much it. They're a one trick pony, which I think unfriended qualifies. Um, it's a good gimmick and it's fun, and especially um, you know, being someone who has lived his teenage and young adult and now adult life online. It was again, fun to kind of see that experience translated to a movie in such a true to life way. And to have a little time capsule. I think, I think this movie will only get more interesting as it goes along (laughs) because, you know, once Facebook is, is no more, hopefully that day is coming soon. You know, just to see Facebook again will be a trip for audiences in 20 or 30 years. Facebook is never leaving dude. I know. I know, but no, you know, it has enough going for it. It's the, you know, good performances. Uh, I think they do pretty much everything you can do with the constraints of your gimmick. 
it could have been a little scarier for me. There was some stuff. I, like, I really like the creepy pasta kind of stuff at the beginning where it's like the, yeah, the yeah. Web page. And it's like, don't answer up oh, yeah. from a dead person. I was like, oh, and I got, I got a story about that for the spoiler room. As uh, you guys know. <laughs> that's chilling. Right. And so I kind of wish there was a little bit more of that kind of stuff before it just kind of gets into the, the soap opera stuff. But, you know, it, it's good enough um, for what it's trying to be. So cue it. Uh, are you gonna pick are you gonna pick patrick yeah I, I'm, I'm glad you picked me because i i want to follow up on what you said about the the creepypasta that that fake forum that they take you to was part of what really drew me in in the first 15 or so minutes this time i was like oh this looks like something i shouldn't be seeing i don't even want to be reading this because it's just going to be seeding ideas in my head that are going to fuck with me for years to come that was that was very effective when she's just googling you know what to do if a dead person contacts you online or something like that you go to silent hill and you try to find them (laughs) (laughs) no spoilers man but yeah uh fuck you're so conflicted i can't believe this because all right start a countdown in the chat i'm gonna (laughs) (laughs) because chris gave it a cue it and i expected him to give it a view it (laughs) steven's counting down i'm gonna give it a view it and i probably i I think i gave this two and a half out of five stars when i reviewed it professionally originally (laughs) and i you know there are flaws that i've expressed already but i had fun with it and as chris said i think it makes the most of its gimmick and also i'm trying to game the average a little bit because if chris is at an average rating i feel like steven might be lower than that so i'm just kind of trying to bump it up the the aim on list a little bit steven i'm gonna give it a cue it i really admire especially for being a kind of a first of its kind sort of movie by the way we haven't mentioned this um there's another film I can think of that has a similar format that I have not seen, but have you guys seen Searching, starring John Cho? That was kind of a big deal for a while. That was that was kind of a um, kind of a, a viral movie hit uh, that is considerably better reviewed than this. So I'm I'm, I'm curious to see it actually, but uh, I think it, it it feels real. It feels kind of seamless like this is all happening in real time the performances are really great uh the characters are appropriately despicable and annoying at times uh it's a little bit messy in terms of as i've said before sort of the machinations of this uh girl back from the dead existing on social media and on the internet um it it didn't really work for me in the end for such a short movie, there were stretches where I was kind of just exhausted by it and waiting for something to happen. But it's it's admirable, I think, as a piece of filmmaking. Uh, interestingly enough, the director of this, probably because he made so much money off of this thing. I mean, the budget was a million. It made $64 million at the box office. He might have just fucking retired. I don't know. Um, but, it, yeah, it's not great. But it's definitely worth a watch if you're curious. It's fun. It's not a great movie. You know, I I endorse Chris's, uh, obviously, viewing suggestion. Watch it on your laptop. Absolutely. In bed while you're trying to fall asleep. If you don't want to fall asleep for another hour or so, you know. That said, I will say, like, the overwhelming emotion I 
felt while watching this film was just pure anxiety and not mm. and not i think in the sense that was intended by the filmmakers i revisited a bit of this before we started talking tonight and i felt kind of like i was bordering on a panic attack at just sort of the 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 pace of it the 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 actors performances the shrieking the freaking out over like just sort of trivial um, I don't even know what the word is I'm looking for right now. You borrowed my mom's car without asking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that, that that kind of shit. But at the same time, I have to acknowledge, like that does feel like real kind of white privilege teen drama. Like it does feel authentic. It's just really hard to watch. And I, I said this to Patrick before we started recording. I was on Zoom for a total of three hours today, and now we're on Zoom again, recording review of this movie that is basically a proto-Zoom conference. So, very odd timing to see this, but I can appreciate that at the time that it came out, and maybe after we're over this pandemic, it might be a more rewarding and novel experience. Well, I think that's a perfect segue to the spoiler room because, you know, we keep alluding to this sort of maelstrom of anxiety and screaming that happens later in the film. And I, I certainly have thoughts. So we better we better just jump on down those stairs to the spoiler room. OK, well, let's let's get down there. Uh, so go go check out the movie. Watch it on your laptop or not. The choice, as always, is yours. And, uh, you know. If you want, you can go online and instead of watching the movie or arguing with your friends on Skype, you could send us a letter on our Facebook page or on Instagram, Twitter. We're at Amoncast, E-H-M-O-N-Cast. You can go to our website, everyhorrormovieonnetflix.com. You can see the ratings we've done for every movie, the one that Patrick is, uh, the ones that Patrick is trying to game today by uh, manipulating his score. Uh, you could go to our <laughs> merchandise store. You could get a shirt or a coffee mug that says Every Horror Movie on Netflix. Leave it on your desk make your co-workers ask some questions uh it's all there it's all at your fingertips uh or you know you have the choice to just do nothing at all and stay tuned and when we come back in a minute we will spoil everything All right, welcome back. We are connected to the spoiler room and we're ready to spoil everything about Unfriended, the cyber thriller. Eat your heart out, Michael Crichton. This is a techno thriller if I ever saw one. (laughs) Wow. It's the best real-time thriller since Nick of Time. (laughs) Oh, man. Chris is hosting this episode. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm shocked he hasn't brought up James Cameron yet. Well, I should have brought him up at the beginning of the episode because I watched five hours of commentaries for Terminator 2 this week. You know what, Chris? You know you know what Unfriended didn't do? Wait for the technology to catch up with their vision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So, I mean, uh, people, you know, we we went to the spoiler room, but people start to die and things start to happen early in this movie. You know, we connect to the friend who everyone hates, Jess. Val. Val, sorry. Uh, Everyone loves Jess. Everyone hates Val. Sure. Wait, they love Jess? They love Jess. They hate Val. 
I know they hate Val. I didn't know they love Jess. I mean, they love her as much as they love anyone else in the movie. Which is to say they, they love her to a neg- negligible amount. They love to but, um, abuse her. They love to talk to her and abuse sure. her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, anyway. So. Anyway. It turns out very early on that Val encouraged Laura to kill herself after this video of Laura being sloppy drunk, having shitter pants at a party came out and Laura's little Skype ghost takes revenge on Val and kind of starts systematically making her way through terrorizing and killing the rest of the kids over Skype. And it turns out basically everyone has had some role in bullying Laura, if not being directly responsible for her death and this video being distributed. And Laura Barnes is omni, omni, uh, omniscient. Um, omniscient yeah she knows everything she's a ghost she knows what you did last summer she knows what you did not just to her but to everybody before she died after she died whatever so yeah she basically i mean the the kind of the the set piece if you will of this movie is they play this game called well they play uh never have i ever a game that i'm sure we are all familiar with uh you know uh, uh moray violators and sure. that we are I actually, you know what? I never have played Never Have I Ever. What? Yeah. All right. Well, put your put your thumb away. Oh, are Um, we doing it? No, we're not. We're not doing. We're not doing it. It, it, That could get real ugly real quick. That gets spicy in a hurry. But I want to (laughs) say I did not know. I have played it before, and I did not know. So one of the characters is like, "Oh, the drinking game," and I was like. I've never played that while drinking. Oh, yeah. How do, how do you make a drinking game out of You that? just drink if you've never if done you it. you lose. Oh, I thought it was if you put all your fingers down. Uh, you know, if you put... Well, it, it, this game goes on for a long time. <laughs> Depends on how alcoholic your friends are, I guess. It's like any drinking sure. game. You drink when you when you get one, and then you like finish your drink if you lose or whatever. Yeah, or Whatever sure. other punishment they your friends design. Um, but yeah, so basically, you know, and it's like, you know, I forget what the first one is, but, but Laura's like, you know, uh, you know, here's one, never have I ever, uh, you know, and it's something, it's something heinous that one of these kids did. And she puts a little countdown in the Skype chat where they, I think the, I think she goes out the the, right out the gate with never have I ever had sex. And that's how we find out that that, Blair comes, that comes a little later because it's a very dramatic point where we find out that Blair are quote-unquote protagonist and her boyfriend mitch who we thought were both virgins who were going to share their first sexual experience together at prom we find out that blair has actually had sex before with adam the scary douche bro who we talked about earlier yeah you're right it's not the, it's not the first one but that's the basic tenor of this is like they've all fucked each other over in a myriad of different ways yeah. and that that's the point of the game is just to get them to 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 argue and to, to turn against each other yeah and laura barnes is loving it she's just fucking with everybody you know yeah tormenting she's tormenting people a little little demon that she is one of my favorite piece maybe my favorite move moment in this movie is i think it's like jess who is like where are you bitch i'm gonna come fuck you up or something and she's like you wouldn't like it here <laughs> oh, yeah <laughs> Yeah, and and you know I like the the death scenes because they are horrifying and graphic, but also very briefly glimpsed in a very effective way. 
And you know, I love how we, they set everything up. I, with the possible exception of Jess and her hair curler, because she ends up like in you know, a hair curler shoved down her throat. Um, I'm not sure if they set that up, but I might notice if I watch it again. They don't, as far as I know. Yeah. If they establish the implements everyone else is going to use to kill herself. Like, you know, we got the, uh, yeah. you know, the, I guess we can describe him as the fat kid who shows up. Ken. And is like, Ken, he has a name, Chris. He has a name. His name is Ken. You're right. He's the nerd. You got me back. Um, he's uh, introduced early on, like obsessed with his chips and salsa. He's like, I'm gonna make some salsa. <laughs> oh yeah, he's- oh, he makes a joke about shitting, like having a good shit because of his salsa, right? Oh yeah, I think he like farts and he's like, I just made my famous salsa, and he like waves the blender around, which I mean is a little like, I mean, it's, I love not, it. it's not the cleverest setup and payoff. But- I love it, and I forgot that um, Mitch, the boyfriend, was using that like machete <laughs> i forgot that he had that until he kills himself i did too chris i was like wait where did that come from and then i had to kind of backtrack we should close the loop on ken though for those who haven't seen the movie and are just listening to us talk about this for whatever insane reason thank you god bless you for for doing that but ken dies by like sticking his hand and other parts of his body presumably into the blender that he oh yeah he makes he makes ken salsa he makes After, he makes Ken's own. He, he becomes salsa. Um, one 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 wonders if the Ken flesh salsa would cause one to fart as much as the regular Ken salsa. I don't. I, I don't wonder that. about that. I don't no. wonder that. I, well, I said one, and the one is me. I just want to know if he donates hundred percent of profits to charity from the salsa. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you gotta watch Unfriended Dark Web to find out about that. <laughs> I got your joke, Chris. <laughs> I got the joke. <laughs> what the fuck? It's not exactly an obscure <laughs> reference. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, salsa guy gets salsa. Uh, gun guy shoots himself. Imagine that. Uh, knife guy kills himself with a knife. Dude, uh, gun guy also- fucking fucking Heath Ledger Jokers himself. Like he no. just slams the knife into a table and then slams his eyeball into the knife. Okay, I thought you were actually... You just, conflated, you just conflated gun guy with knife guy, but I was very confused about what was happening with the knife. There were a couple of these kills where, like, some of them were, like, very obvious. It's like, okay, hair curler down the throat. She finally shut the fuck up. With the knife, it, like, happened oh. so quickly and there's all these blurry effects that, like, I just didn't know what was happening. Like, how did the knife wind up in his eye? I remember I, that being a laugh line in the theater when it when when the girl kills her or gets a gets a curling iron shoved down her throat and then there's a meme that's because <laughs> the photo like takes a while to load FTFU. yeah the photo and, takes a while to load before you get to the punchline um, and honestly i think that that is brilliant what a way to deliver a punchline it's very freddy yeah there weren't enough memes in this in this film maybe you have to watch unfriended dark web to get more memes it, have yeah, you seen yeah. dark web I'm no, but I should watch it tonight. Should have been called Unfriended Meme Harder. Yeah. It's all it's all fantastic stuff. I also really liked <laughs> it, it had no reason to be there. And it was really dumb plot wise and from a character standpoint. But I, I liked the scene where Blair in desperation 
seeks help on chat roulette. <laughs> yes! Oh, yes! I want to talk about chat roulette for a minute. I mean, it, it became a thing when I was in college. And I mean, it was huge for like a month. And then it existed yeah, yeah. for a few months after that. And so like, yeah, I have some experience with it for a moment. It was huge. And like people would like, you know, you'd have a bunch of people in the living room watching it on TV and stuff. Yeah, I had one of those experiences. And I should probably be unfriended for this, but I was only like guilty by association so i remember once like that month when chat roulette was a big deal i remember with a bunch of my college friends and roommates were together in an apartment and we had one friend who was like kind of a kind of a sexy female yeah and she would she set the laptop up in front of her we had it hooked up to the tv so we could all see what was happening yeah and these guys are coming on there it's gross you know people just start with their dick out yeah or you know they start you know with their shirt off whatever yeah and she would like try and seduce them and we'd, we'd wait to find somebody who was like looking to exploit a woman but not going out the gate with her dick out and she would kind of she never took any clothes off or anything she would just like try and like sex them into revealing what a terrible person they were and then we would turn the laptop and there were like 10 of us that would just start waving and cheering in the background and they would immediately shut their camera off huh yeah okay so so you were trying to catch a predator (laughs) i guess so (laughs) But I, I really, um, it kind of took me back when I saw the chat roulette thing, and I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that scene, because it's like... It, it's dumb. It's dumb. But- it's really dumb, because like you know... I guess I don't fully understand why that's the last resort is chat roulette. Like, well, how do how you possibly think that like somebody's going to find you? Like, are there... Are, okay, is Blair on her... She's on her laptop, have we at this point in the movie, and I might be dumb for even asking this, is at this point in the movie, is her phone just not working? Can she they not call it? Pretend phones don't exist. Yeah, and that's really fucking stupid. No, that's like, not true. There are phones in the movie. They're a plot device, but you know what? I it works it fits perfectly into the gimmick. And by the time you get to her getting on chat roulette to find help, I'm sold enough on the gimmick of that we exist essentially just in a computer world that it's like sure it simultaneously makes sense and is fucking hilarious that she's getting on chat roulette to find help i was just entirely there for it while also recognizing the silliness of it because i mean you can also ask the question all these teens are on their computers screaming at each other in their bedrooms i I, a a couple times i was like okay why is someone's like mom or dad not coming in and being like what's going on shut that thing off i told you before these games just make you too angry yeah but i had given myself over enough to the concept that it's like you know what there's five people on skype this is this is the world we exist in yeah i mean look it's a stupid scene i don't think there's any justification for it but it's fun as hell and again like i'm saying this time capsule like where it takes you back to 2015 the internet 2014 like great actually chat chat roulette i guess i probably peaked uh by then but you know it was fun to see chat roulette again what a time to be alive to live through that moment in internet history you are never going to get it back we're never going to get it back chat roulette is actually trying to make a comeback right now i think what yeah and they're using ai now to weed out the dicks um literally yeah so we'll see how that goes but i mean the like brief moment in time before chat roulette was all dicks was just a great 
moment of history that we'll ne- we're never going to get back. Well, I, I mean, do, that I do scene... want to add to this, like, I, just from my chat roulette experience, that game that I mentioned, I never saw an actual dick. I will say that. That was kind of surprising in that exercise. But continue, Patrick. Well, I mean, this scene also gives us the gift of, like, the true hero of this film, which is the person that Blair finally connects with who actually does follow through and, like, very thoroughly, like, collects her address and calls the Fresno yes. Police Department. I loved that character. Like, Oh, my God! They seemed, they seemed like they had it together, and I was like, I want to see more of this person, but f- sadly, they disappeared after, like, a minute. Because for the first time, because for the first time in this movie, we meet a decent person yes and she's just fucking chilling with her dog on chat roulette because she's bored and wants to connect with human beings for no nefarious purposes whatsoever just a very chill well-meaning soul and that is the first and only time we've encountered that in this film and i also love that character even though they did nothing except listen attentively and call the police hell yeah I, you know what? I want to say right now, early front runner for the 2021 Spirit of Jay Award. It was it was a nice yeah. little port in the storm of hysterics that that. <laughs> oh, so yes. Well, well put. Let's talk about the storm of hysterics because we've been getting there for a while. This is here's my hot take. So, in the midst of this game of never have I ever, you know, uh, uh, Laura drags out all these horrendous details we already mentioned you know that like blair had sex with adam while mitch thought that she was a virgin and uh you know what adam sold drugs and somebody sold adam out for selling drugs and adam offered to trade jess's life for his blah 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 there's all these uh, ridiculous sordid details and these actors just shift into just they turn it up to fucking 11 just reacting to this news they're screaming and crying and to me it was hilarious and so so trashy just entertainingly trashy and i thought of i I mentioned this to you guys before the podcast began Uh i was like i feel like john waters would love this film because john waters loves trash he loves extreme like teen drama i feel like he would have had an absolute ball at least with this never have i ever segment because it's just so over the top i don't think it's what the filmmakers intended but it's just extreme trash in a very entertaining way i think it's what they intended i mean i i I do think i mean this movie was made by adults it wasn't made by you know 15 year olds like i think you're supposed to you're supposed to realize at this point in the movie these are all you know bad kids that need to answer for something and you're supposed to kind of delight in seeing them turn against each other but man the performances the shrillness of it the shrieking is like i said earlier i i felt like i was on the verge of a panic attack i had to pause it and start it again today before we recorded because i just couldn't sit through it especially you know after being on zoom as many hours a day as i am and everything else but i think now patrick i do kind of understand why you think john waters would approve of this film well yeah i think the i mean if you look up the the director's public comments about this film you know he thinks he was making a pretty serious film about bullying and i don't know that it was intended 
I don't I don't know that that sequence is necessarily t- intended to be extreme in the way that it comes off, or at least in the way that it came off to you and me. I think it's a little unintentionally over the top and unintentionally trashy. It kind of worked for me. I mean, I, I I thought it was it was good. I didn't mind that it went there. I was like, oh, this is intensity. And for me, the drama was like, you know, these kids are in a life and death situation, and we have a a, a ghost here who's trying to pick them off one by one. And these kids can't. They don't have the perspective to put their petty bullshit aside to come together. <laughs> And all the shitty stuff that they've done in their lives is coming back to haunt them. So it's kind of, you know, it, it, it kind of becomes a kind of a cheesy morality fable, I guess, um, on that point. But no one learns a lesson, you know? Honestly, I don't think even when it's too late, you know, and people are saying, I'm sorry, they're not sorry. They're just trying to get out of trouble. Yeah. And that's basically what happens at the end of the movie. Uh, the big revelation is... Uh, Adam or no Mitch uh, it, it's just Blair and Mitch the young lovers at the end and basically Laura Barnes makes them confess to who took the video of Laura Barnes and after mm. a long suspenseful impasse where everyone says there's no the, neither of them did it Blair points the finger at her boyfriend Mitch and he ki- he is killed off yeah. And we find out that Blair was actually lying and she took the video. So not only did she kill her BFF, Laura Barnes, by taking this video and posting it online, she also killed her boyfriend with no remorse because she didn't want to take responsibility for it. Pretty much. And yeah. her her Bleak. punishment is to be um, the uncut video in which we see the camera turn around and Blair reveal herself as the the recorder is posted online you know it goes viral immediately and everyone's like oh my god blair it was you all along kill yourself bitch blah 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 and laura barnes says something like like this will never what does she say like this will be there forever this will look terrible on your college application (laughs) you're gonna get canceled for this one (laughs) Uh, does she actually say that because i I, from what i well i mean obviously shows she doesn't actually say what you just said but i i i felt a little sympathy actually for blair in the end because i felt like blair was also drunk and goofing off and maybe didn't intend for this to be spread across the internet or to to humiliate laura intent doesn't matter she did it (laughs) like well, but she didn't up. She didn't upload it, though. Oh, she did. Po- oh, I thought Mitch posted it. Um, Wikipedia agrees with you that Mitch posted it and Blair took it. Yeah, that's. I think. Yeah, I think that's what happened. Well, the nuance was lost on me because we're just we're we're, we're just trapped in a cycle of hysterics and histrionics at this point in the movie. Um, it's it's clear that we're not supposed to like any of these people. They've all had a part in this, but right. But I'm just unpacking sort of the 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 moral uh, implications of this whole thing. In that, I did feel sort of sorry for Blair. Obviously, don't fucking film your friend shitting her pants. But Blair was at a party too. Probably was drunk, and I, I guess obviously did something to share the video in the first place, which she shouldn't have done. But I was a little bit like, uh, well, Blair didn't necessarily mean for this to be distributed 
all over the place. For I'm sorry, but if you're uh, like, I think when you're drunk, you reveal your true self to some extent. I mean, obviously, people act like assholes and they're drunk. I've done it many times in my life. But if you're if you're drunk and you're taking a video exploiting someone making an ass of themselves and keeping it to the extent that it can be shared, like you're you're kind of a piece of shit. Like, I mean, uh, yes, just, yeah, I don't know. This is a fucking rabbit hole that we probably never should have gone down in the first no, place. No, it's worth going down, I think, because the movie, it, like, does have kind of an unclear sort of center as far as the the morality of it goes. Um, I mean, Blair, obviously, Blair, Blair, For the like, entire movie, Blair is meant, like, I for the entire movie, I felt like Blair was innocent, and Blair didn't do anything wrong. Like, I don't even necessarily Well, yeah, care. because the movie is designed to lead you on to think that Blair is innocent, when it turns out that <gasps> she's actually had sex before, you know, which is a whole different ethical discussion we could get into. Well, and I don't even know if she had sex with Adam she while did. she was with Mitch. No, I know she had sex with Adam, but I don't know oh. if it was while she was with Mitch. Like, that's unclear if she cheated or if she just, like, did that before she and Mitch got together. It's, 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 I don't know. And that's, that's basically the movie. The final, uh, little gotcha is, uh, I, I'm a big fan of this. You know, after Blair realizes that she's damned to social media jail for the rest of her life, the, uh, we get the illusion that the, that her laptop is closing. And so it's like, whoa. And it feels like your laptop just closed if you're watching it in bed in the dark like you're supposed to be. Yeah. And we see, like, Blair's little bedroom. <laughs> and then a little jump scare ghost. And that's the end of the movie. Which, honestly, from what I remember, I thought that was stupid in the theater. And also, I was like, okay, that works. I like it when I watch also, it on my tablet. Laura Barnes, like the ghost who i i don't know like i i did get the sense god i'm gonna sound probably stupid for saying this but like i got the sense that she's like in a she's not just laura barnes like she's like this accumulation of like ghosts of people who have been like wronged by social media she looks like a hag like she looks like the classic like sort of witch sort of hag character when she finally like lurches toward the screen at the very end of this She's not a teenage girl. I think it's pretty explicit in the text of the movie that it's actually the Kuntilana in, in, uh, <laughs> in the form of Laura Barnes. Uh, yeah, I, I can neither co-sign or not co-sign any of that. But that that, that was my read. I was like, wait, what? Like, that's that's who's been behind this the whole time? Like, that is not the same... Laura Burns that I envisioned in my mind. Like this looks like. Yeah. Anyway, God damn well, it. God damn it. So tell me what you can co-sign, Patrick. What the hell are we watching next time? It's your turn to choose. Oh shit! That was a sudden transition. Wait, I think we need to do one final bit in the spoiler room. It's a little special for those of you who have actually stuck with us to this point. There's a bit of spawn news is non-news. Oh God. Yep. Yep, that, that and actually, that Chris, is. Chris, you're responsible for sharing this with us. You are. Yeah, I, I yep, yeah, I should. It's, uh, yep, yep. Go ahead, go ahead. As as longtime listeners will know, Spawn was the first movie we ever reviewed for this show, and we still occasionally revisit quote unquote news about Todd McFarlane's plans for a new Spawn movie. So the non news this week is that Michael J. White, uh, star of the original Spawn, Michael movie, who, who White, what? 
Michael who white? Oh, <laughs> God damn it. Why couldn't I figure that out? I thought maybe I mispronounced it. <laughs> but Michael J. White, the star of the original Spawn movie, the guy who played Spawn in the original Spawn movie, uh, was recently interviewed about his thoughts on the new Spawn movie. And uh, I think it's safe to say he was uh, less than enthused about the concept. Well, I don't know if he's enthused, but he's a, he's a little short. Uh, he, he feels the same way about it that you feel about Avatar 2, 3, and 4. Yes, it is the exact same way that I feel about Avatar 2, 3, and 4. He's just like, you know what, I'm not even... Still speaking as me, I'm not even going to bother to pull up the Michael J. White quote, but Michael J. White's pretty much just like, yeah, Todd wants to make a movie with uh, Spawn as Jaws. Good luck. Not sure how that's going to work. Not okay, sure how that's going to work. going to be made. But God Michael bless. J. White just throwing major shade on. I do want to say I have something to add to this. Um, so early on, Todd McFarlane talked about how he wanted Spawn to be the character spawned to be like the jaws of this movie where he's never seen and he never described what that looked like. And Michael J. White actually described what Todd McFarlane said to him where spawn the way he pitched it to him, not pitched it because he doesn't want Michael J. White to be in this thing at all. But the way he described it to him was that the way he described it to him was that spawn appears as a cloud of smoke and like snatches people out of you know the gutter and kills them so you never see basically i think it's a way to do this very low budget without actually showing the spawn costume and the you know the chains and the cape and everything would be so expensive to show but it was really interesting to see without showing any of the reasons you would go see a spawn exactly exactly (laughs) the entirety of the spawn concept is built around mcfarland's insane visuals like the like the main reason anyone ever wanted to read spawn comics was because spawn looked awesome yeah it wasn't because of the fucking characters or the story or anything it was you know the fucking gritty like beating pedophiles faces in or whatever that whole thing but like the number one reason was it was fucking spawn and he looked sweet and mcfarlane could draw a sweet cape and there were chains on his body and whatever it looked great i I, i'm just so puzzled by this concept and and honestly i say this every time we talk about this if it actually gets made i can't wait to see it i'm fascinated to see how this would work i don't think it's going to but i want to see it I think it'll get made. I think it'll get made because we all watched the documentary Todd McFarlane, Like Hell I Won't. Like Hell I Won't. And uh, <laughs> if there's one thing I learned from that that little that little uh, propaganda film, <laughs> it's that <laughs> don't bet against Todd McFarlane. He has incredible James Cameron energy, and when he puts his mind to something, it's going to happen. Yeah, but it's been 20 fucking years that he's been trying to make this happen. Has pretty he been much. Trying to, no, he's going to make it happen, I believe. It's going to be a swan song. <laughs> Are you saying he's going to... <laughs> what is the implication of that, Chris? That he's it, going it, to die right after he makes gonna it? He's going to die yeah. behind the camera. It, it, it's going to take him, it's gonna take him years. Steven Spielberg but, will finish yeah. it up. <laughs> he's going he's, he's to do 300 more issues of Spawn, and then he's as a 70-year-old man, he's going to... Uh, direct this film and and star in it and then die, dude. God bless. Like this is probably going to be his Veronica, the Glenn Danzig movie, like his equivalent of that. And even still, I'm here for it, and it'll be a cult classic for generations to come. I I'm love it for him. Bring it on. Bring it on. 
Uh, but anyway, so what the hell are we watching next time, Patrick? Oh, fuck. I have a list. I've had a list for a while, and I'm going to pick the most trash. Yes. Yes. Here for on the list. Tell it out, baby. We are going to watch Horns. Robert oh, Pattinson is a goat. Fuck no, dude. no, Dan Reckless. Oh, is it's a, a goat. goat. <laughs> <laughs> He's not a goat. I don't know anything up. about it other than that Daniel Radcliffe is in it and he has horns. But that's enough to. You know what? It's based on a fairly acclaimed Joe Hill novel. Oh, oh really? Stephen King's son. There you what? go. Wow. Yeah, I've I've actually wanted to see this. I've wanted to read the book more than see the movie, but I'm I've been very curious about this for a long time. So amazing, excited. excited. All right. right, maybe awesome. I'll read the maybe I'll read the novel. Although if Joe Hill writes anything like his dad, it's probably seven hundred and fifty. No, his stuff is his stuff. I've read quite a bit of his stuff. It's it's lean. <laughs> it's not a cocaine epic. I can tell you that. <laughs> All right, maybe I will read it. All right, well, that's in two weeks. We'll be watching Horns. Hope you'll join us then. Uh, But until then, that's it. That's all we got. You can find us online, like I said before. Drop us a note if you miss us in the meantime. But uh, otherwise, we will see you in two weeks. We're reviewing Horns, and that's it. So for every horror movie on Netflix, I'm Chris. I'm Patrick. I'm Steven, and I'm really horned up for the next episode. (laughs) Oh, Steven's horny as fuck. See you next time. (laughs) 